Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing and advertising. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today I've caught Amy Keane, published author, poet, public speaker and Starcom's head of strategic innovation. Amy's led media and marketing strategies for some of the world's biggest brands, including the BBC, Unilever and Nando's. She's been listed as one of the most influential and innovative people in UK digital media by the likes of The Drum, while her career has taken her to Asia and back again. And she is rightly a vocal champion for smashing gender inequality in our industry and beyond. Her first foray into writing with the modern day fairy tale The Little Girl Who Gave Zero Fucks was a stonking success, storming to the top of the charts on Amazon. Amy says, the world won't fall apart if you stop worrying about everything and if you take a few risks. Welcome to the show, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Right, let's limber up. Yeah. Coffee or tea? Tea. Mac or PC? Oh, you know what? I hate both. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Winter or summer? Uh, Summer because it's my birthday. Asia or Europe? Ooh. Asia. Book or Facebook? Book. Limerick or Sonnet? <laughs> sonnet. Stick or Twist? I don't know, Twist. <laughs> now, I know you've been far and wide, but um, <clears throat> what was your first ever job and what was your first proper job? Uh, first ever job. Um, interestingly, so I've always been, right, I've always been a. Um, very failed performer so you know like I was I wanted to be a blue piece of tv presenter and you know a bit of an amdram kid and so my first job is probably the most I've been able to perform and I was um on the tannoy at Ikea so I had a little had a little microphone and I'd stand at the entrance and I'd do the announcements like time is 8.15 and the store will be closing in 45 minutes. Could you please? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so that was my job. Fuck, I loved it. <laughs> loved it. Um, and you know what's really funny? is <laughs> I just remember it, flashbacks. Um, so you stand at, I used to stand at the front entrance and they have a revolving door and um, you don't realise just how many accidents occur in those revolving doors because <laughs> they don't stop. Um I just keep going. Did so, you have to mute your mic when there were accidents? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I also nearly got fired. Genuinely nearly got fired because I had to say, one of my announcements was, there's a forklift truck driver uh, in the aisles, you know, in the, yeah. the big the warehouse, and I said it wrong. <laughs> so I swore over the tannoy and I got bollocksed. Not bollocks, bollocks. No, what's the word? Told off. I got told off. <laughs> bollocks isn't there? Bollocks. bollocks. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so yeah. So that didn't last. It did actually three years. Yeah. Well, I got the job. I was. It was from when I was fifteen to eighteen. Okay. Loved they let, it. They let a fifteen-year-old on the tannoy. I know. Oh, I man. don't. And I don't act any older than I. Am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then what was your first job in the marketing world? Oh, um, so 
I was, and I don't really like the way people respond to this. Um, I was a PA. I was a, I was a PA to Guy Phillipson, who was the CEO of the Internet Advertising Bureau. This was a very long time ago, mm. like 2004 or something. Um, so when I left university, did sociology, that's really hard, that's really un- intangible, untangible. Mm. Um, so I just got... I just got the first job that I could, which was a PA, um, and did that for like eight months, and obviously moved into actually, you know, doing. And then I did events, then I did PR, PR yeah. at the IAB. Um, but it's really interesting because those are people always like, oh, I didn't know you started, I didn't know you started as a PA, and I, I find it, I, fi- I find it quite offensive, yeah. not only on my behalf but on behalf of PA, PAs everywhere. Yeah. You do a fucking hard job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it's, I guess it's not the traditional entry, a traditional entry point. I didn't do a grad scheme. I didn't like. Uh, intern. Mm. Um, so yeah, PA and then worked my way up. Cool. And in the intro, we, well, I attempted to summarise you and probably didn't do you <clears> justice, but in the most respectful way possible, what are you? A marketer, an author, a poet? <laughs> um, what am I? I, I would say, oh God, this is going to sound well wank. <laughs> I always call, I'm, I'm an innovator, I would call myself an innovator. Um, because primarily that's my job. So I've got a weird job title, but I've always had the weirdest job titles. So when I was at Havas, I used to be head of futures. Um, head of strategic innovation is just like a mishmash of, I sit in the strategy team, but also I do innovation. But mostly, um, I have to get people to try and think differently and try and do differently. And the way that I write um, stories and also poetry, I'm trying to do the same thing. Like, it's all about trying to be different and trying to say things that have never been said before, which sometimes get me in, gets me into trouble, obviously. Um, but I think within my writing and across all of my work, yeah, innovator is probably the best word. It does sound wanky. I don't know what other word to use. I love yeah. change, like I love changing things, I love trying to fix things. Well, innovate is one of, those, one of those words, isn't it? I think when used correctly, there's nothing weird or wanky about it, yeah. but because it's been misused and the misuse is so rife, yeah. you can't help but, but, I suppose, fall into that trap. You know what's wankier? Go on. Change. <laughs> I can't say it, I can't say it. Change agent. It's yeah. definitely wankier. We should have a top five, that's number one, let's see if we can beat it. Now, the little girl who gave zero fucks, can you tell us about that? It is. I mean, I'd be bold enough to say that it's a brand new format, really. Um, It's an illustrated book that rhymes, um, primarily written for adults, but it's um, kind of like a self-help book, but a really, really entertaining one. Uh, And it's like, um, it's kind of falling into the subject of, you know, innovating and change it's it's about being brave it's kind of set across a day in the life of of an average girl um and it's about how every single one of us can try and change the world a little bit um we just need to um we just need to worry less we just need to be less anxious we just need to be a bit more brave um so and how did that come about how did you decide to uh, I, right, you know what, um, when I first started answering this, because I've been answering this question for a really long time, mm. 
Nothing against the question, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah, so we'll edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great good question. question isn't it? No, but when I first started, when I first started answering that question, I was, it wasn't that I was dishonest, mm. but I didn't tell the whole story. And I just said, you know, I really wanted to see if I could. I wanted mm. to see if I could use a, a, a cuss, a curse word. I wanted to see if, I, I thought that it was, I thought that it would appeal and I wanted to see if it did. Um, but that's really shallow reasons that aren't actually the, the main reason why I wrote it. And so over, over time, I will get to the reason why, over no, time, since it's been released and obviously it's had it's had a nice amount of success and I get messages from women saying I fucking needed that book today and oh, I just you know landed on my doorstep and it was like serendipity like I get loads of messages from women who say they needed it and I feel like I would be doing them a disservice if I wasn't totally honest about why I wrote it because mm. I can't I can't financially benefit from the insecurities of women if I don't talk about my own. Mm. Um, so the reason why I wrote it, uh, I was living in Singapore at the time, which was obviously a, a lovely part of my life. It was like two and a half years. But uh, it was my um, least confident and most anxious, which I did not understand because I was in my early 30s. Mm. And I was like, how have you not sorted your shit out mm. by this age? But for some reason, a variety of different external influences, some of them professional, some of them personal, I literally lost all of my confidence. Um, and when that happens, it's almost like, it's almost like your nerve endings are on the outside of your body. Like I was, I was so sensitive and the tiniest thing would become a massive deal. And I was, I was, I was giving all the fucks and I just found like it was a really unappealing, I just thought, sort it out, sort it out. This is really like, you're better than this. Um, and so because I've always written, I used to write loads of blog posts and stuff, loads of opinion pieces. I've always written to cure myself always I do it with poetry now um so I wrote the story that was essentially telling myself to stop giving so many fucks and that is that is exactly how it happened and so I wrote it and and it's worked for me because I thought if I write it and I and other people see it then I have to fucking do it I have to do it so I uh, yeah and did you find that therapeutic yeah well, also, um, so while I was in while I was in Asia, I, I had a confidence coach, which was really expensive. Mm. Um, so I started seeing this guy, and he um, he did like various he had various different techniques, like hypnotism was one of them. But then also, a, I guess you'd call it CBT. I don't know, like light mm. um, CBT. I'm not entirely sure what that is, but um, uh, he used to say this thing to me, which was. Um, Every single person has... Have I told you, I've told you this before? Every single person has a remote control. You have one, I have one. Yeah. Um, and, oh, look, there's a... Could you pass me that remote control? So I'm kidding. Every single person has a remote control. Yeah. And every single one of the buttons is, like, one of your emotions. Yeah. Um, so happy, sad, angry, jealous, blah, 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 blah. Um, and this is how we function. Um, and what he... The confidence coach said to me was, you just give, you give everyone your remote control and you're like go on um and I realized then I was like oh shit yeah I do and he said you know what you have to try and do is you have to try and keep hold of your own remote control and I know again that's like it's a little bit like uh, a little bit namaste a little bit you know um new age but it totally made sense. It totally made sense to yeah, me. Yeah. So, and there's lots of parallels with the whole zero fucks fucks in your basket giving them away so uh 
I've been told something similar with anxiety. Yeah. Um, and it's, or not just anxiety, any, any particular emotion that might be, for whatever reason, interfering with your well-being, mental or physical. Yeah. And along the similar, similar lines, it's more about recognising how you're feeling in that moment and in recognising it, it, it almost enables you to then let go of it or move on. So it's... Yeah. It's oh, God, totally. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that at all, I don't think. And the word fucks was deliberate in the title. Yes. Well, also, I've worked in advertising for like 15 years. I know what gets people's attention. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I think, fucking stroke of genius. <laughs> um, I knew, like, that phrase, that phrase zero fucks was becoming more and more popular. There were loads of, like, ten women who give zero fucks listicles on BuzzFeed and yeah. stuff. Um, and so that I, kn- I, I saw it getting popular enough socially that I knew it would get some attention. Did anyone try and change it? My sister, actually. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she regrets it. She has apologised since. Yeah, yeah. But she said to me, after I'd written the book, she said, and it kind of is true, she said, it's such a shame because children should read this. Um, and by using the word fuck, you're preventing lots of children that need to... Um, boost their confidence you're, you're stopping them from reading it so change it call it ducks call it yucks call it something so that it can be more accessible and I was like I could like I totally get the point um but it would just lose all of its essence like it would lose the zero fucks is such a powerful phrase to not give a fuck is a powerful powerful thing to do so I couldn't I couldn't lose it yeah you'd be sterilizing it wouldn't you? yeah totally um the trickiest part, which has totally bitten me on the arse, is um, that we don't have an asterisk, which means that, because because I said I can't, if I, if, if I give zero fucks and I shouldn't have an asterisk, should I, you know, um, it means I can't advertise, which is so annoying. Mm. Facebook, all my Facebook ads get rejected, my Twitter mm. ads get rejected, so I'm trying to, at the moment, I'm trying to work out ways that I can, you know, loopholes. But that, I mean, it's, it's pathetic that that's the case that you, that it will be rejected. Mm-hmm. Apple's own rules for listing this podcasts um, suggest that we need to flag that it's explicit content just for saying oh, naughty. Really? It's pathetic, especially it's when you know these are platforms who will happily disseminate hate speech via you know the president of the United States. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but me saying fuck is yeah. uh, is banned. Yeah, exactly. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> um, and it's had an amazing impact, hasn't it? You mentioned earlier you've had you've had lots of people um, you said women, but I'm assuming it's had an impact with men too, is that Yeah. Yeah, it's you know what, actually men have been the nicest. Um, and I love this so much so when I crowdfunded the book, oh my god, like a year and a half ago uh, 40% of the funders were men mm. um, men say the most wonderful things every single time I see a man on like face, um, Twitter or Instagram saying I've bought this for my daughter it makes me cry because I just think that's exactly that's, that's so the point um, it's I don't know any man that's actually said that he's read it for himself mm. but lots of men have read it and said they really liked it yeah. there was a guy you know, do you know Dale Lovell he runs Adulike. He's mm. the MD of a, a, a tech company, like a native advertising company called yeah. Adulike. He bought a copy of the book for every single person in his office for International Women's Amazing. Day. I was like, that's fucking nice. Yeah. Boosted my sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, wow. men have been amazing. Interestingly, and I don't want to be too negative about this, but the most... There's been very little backlash, 
the most the most personal kind of most um, dismissive sort of scathing comments have been from women. And anything that's come back that you think's fair? Nah. <laughs> they haven't read it. Good. It's women. <laughs> it's women who haven't read it. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's probably the Twitterati. Yeah. yeah. You can do anything and you'll find someone to backlash. And you really will. Yeah. And I heard a rumour that you're looking into the musical. <gasps> is this true? We've started. Have you? We've started. Oh my God. Amazing. This is the, literally, hands down, the most exciting thing. I will ever do in my life like it's um so I have a little bit of a music musical background because I used to be in like stage I play the piano and play the clarinet and um used to sing at weddings um and so it just because I announced it at my book launch didn't I yeah, yeah, yeah. that I was gonna do it but then I was just like I was just certain that I would anyway so I did a book signing in Oxford um, and like it was like a Q&A and I spoke about the fact that I wanted to it's perfect for a musical there were two people in the audience who run a theatre production company and have done like really really interesting different shows like it's so bang on for my brand yeah. um, like they've done they've done loads of Shakespeare so they've done um, a version of Julius Caesar but it's set in an office and all the characters are women like they've, they've done Jane Eyre the musical like it's cool. they're just really interesting people anyway so they got in touch and were like can we can we can we please do this for you so yeah, <laughs> yeah. so they've so we've started writing it like we've got the songs all kind of sketched out it's um, we want it to be like so I want lame like lame Miz, but with a garage soundtrack, <laughs> if you can imagine. Lame Miz meets uh, DJ EZ. Nice. <laughs> meets Southwest London. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's what I want. And your writing doesn't stop there. So you did, um, we mentioned it on the intro, but you, you're also a poet. So I um, need to try and say this without sounding, you know, when you're a poet, you have to, like, it has to, you have to live and breathe it. You have to be so into it, like... This is what everybody says, but um, essentially I got into it because I'd written the book, Little Girl Who Goes Zero Farts, and I'd written it in rhyme. Now, you cannot call it proper poetry just because it's written in rhyme. If anything, I've spoken about the poetry community before, if anything, they look down upon uh, stuff that rhymes too much. Oh. <laughs> I remember I did a course. Well, um, uh, so because I'd written it, I couldn't call it poetry. But I wanted to be able to say that I was a poet. So I was like, shit, well, I need to get some substance. So last year, last May, I went on a Faber Academy course, like a four-month course how to, called How to Write a Poem, um, and I became a poet. So now I can say, and I've been published and stuff, now I can say I'm a poet and no one can scoff at me because the only thing I have to prove it is a rhyming book. Now I have fucking poems that have, I've, I've won stuff, like I've, I've done it. But in my, in my Faber Academy course, it's taught by two um, very middle-class male poets. And um, every week you have to read out like, one of your poems. And I read one, and um, it rhymed quite a bit. So I was just trying, I was trying, trying something out. Anyway, like the, the tumbleweed in the room after I read my poem. It's just like literally one of the most uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't ask me to leave. Because <laughs> I'd rhyme, because because I'd rhyme too much. That's weird. Yeah, there's quite a lot of um, quite stuffy. Yeah, which is um, there's lots of 
it's it's becoming less snobby. There's lots of new voices from various different social groups kind of coming up, mm. which makes it better, which makes it a little less like Sylvia Plath, which is, you know, what how most people see poetry. They see it as posh, they see it as inaccessible, they see it as words they don't... They see it as something they don't understand. Mm. Like That's why people don't... Poetry book sales have increased loads over the last... Um, year, 12 months because there's these new voices mm. that aren't as inaccessible that's good, I mean I think all art forms if I can, oh, there you go, there's another wanky one <laughs> art forms should be accessible yeah, surely and not just for people that went to Oxbridge well exactly that, yeah, yeah. yeah. so I read, a, I read a poem um, I think the thing you published it it was pre-Christmas, but correct me if I'm wrong about the delivery driver yeah. And that was well received. It was. Yeah. It that one that one something. It was like poem of the month in in September for a, a magazine. I put makeup on for the delivery driver. That's it. Yeah. Original um, biblical milf. It's my favorite. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah, it was quite punchy. Yeah. yeah, it stood out. It's called oh shit. There's this that's it's called an anaphora, which is there's a type of poem where the first line of each stanza is always the same. So the, the, the way that the poem goes, I put makeup on for the delivery driver because I put makeup on for the delivery driver. So there's loads of repetitive, like repetition. It's mm. a, a style. Nice. Yeah. So are you going to publish any more poems or are you focusing on the musical or are you focusing um, on your career in marketing? or? I What I am doing, but I think I have to be um, a little bit cagey about it. I'm doing a project... I'm doing a project, but it's not going to come out until, like, September, which is about... which is poetry plus nature. I'm doing it in partnership with someone else, and he would kill me if I mm-hmm. talked about it. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm really focusing... So, so all I'm doing at the moment is writing poems about nature, basically, for a very specific purpose, but you'll see. Mm-hmm. You'll see soon. And you're enjoying it? I fucking love it. I love it. <laughs> when you have... Don't hold back. Well, you... What, um... With something like that... And I guess it's the same. Uh, I don't know what it's like with the people that, like the youngins that come and work for you. But once you found your voice, once you have the confidence that you know your shit, and once you found your voice, that's it. Yeah. And so I've done that now. So I'm like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that zero fuck state of mind that you captured so well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you, you you just accept that life is what it is, and when any preconception you had, whether it turned out to be true or not, yeah, you know now, and you kind of operate in that space. And yeah, it's a really wanky answer, but <laughs> the, the line I read, read from you earlier, I absolutely loved it, which was that the world won't fall apart if you stop worrying about everything and if you take a few risks. And to me, that's what I just tried to articulate. That's the key, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, how does your impressive career in marketing and advertising fit in amongst? everything else we've discussed oh so to go back to your question like how do I fit it all in mm-hmm. literally and I think you know I think I've said this to you before well you can probably tell like literally every second I'm awake I'm working yeah. on something um, because I enjoy it not because I have bad some kind of bad balance I just I love I love making shit and I love doing stuff and I love being productive yeah so it is impossible. So I do this job. I do my job in strategic innovation four days a week. But when I first started doing this, I was like, "Can I just go down to fifty percent? Like, can I mentally? Can I switch off a little bit and just do my job?" 
you know, you know, just like, can I just be on automatic pilot for four days a week and then just be uber creative for the rest of the my life? Yeah. And you can't. Like, people don't, people won't buy into you if you just go on automatic pilot. So, I work four days, but I work really long hours on those four days. And because my job's global, I'm travelling all the time anywhere. I just have to get, I, I just have to give everything to everything. Mm. <laughs> and, um... What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> About your, your career in marketing. So yeah. I know there's a few topics that particularly interest you. And in fact, it was an article in The Drum, I recall, four or five years ago, around dream, dream-vertising. Yes. And I know neuromarketing interests you, as does augmented so, reality. Right. So is there anything in particular in marketing that you, 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 know, you have that same spark for that you do with your writing? Yeah, so... Or shall I rephrase that, actually? Oh. What is it about dreamvertising in particular? Because like, I really want to tap into that. Oh, yeah, we can totally talk about dreamvertising. Um, so, I think there's some amazing... So, as I said, when I was at Havas, I used to be head of future. So, I was technically a futurologist. There's many of them around now. It was an industry that was largely led by men of a certain age, of a certain... I mean, Ameri- mm-hmm. American men, um, baby boomers, I'd imagine. And how it used to be was, in the future, we're all going to have <laughs> chips on our wrists. That's and true, they- though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but they'd make these big predictions about what's going to happen in 10 years' time. Yeah. No one can <clears throat> pick them up on it because it's in 10 years. These like really grandiose... Futurology shouldn't be about making grandiose predictions. It should be about presenting a, vari- a variety of different possible futures to people and saying, what do you want? Because yeah. these four things could happen. So what I did with dreamvertising... It's kind of like scenario planning, I guess. What I did with dreamvertising... Uh, and the weird thing is, this is how slow our industry moves, it's still totally relevant now. What I was doing was I was taking various trends related to data privacy, creativity, the extent to which the industry pummels people and tries to fill every single random space in their lives. Like I was taking all of those trends and the whole like, feel oh, immersive creativity Thing that everyone was talking about, particularly five years ago. People kind of talk about immersive creativity less, I think, now. Mm. Um, anyway, so I was taking all of those things and presenting a possible future that genuinely could happen because technically it's possible to see how people felt about it. If you look at some of the research, so there was a really interesting stat that like 33% of 18 to 25 year olds would be a cyborg. <laughs> If they have this. I think I know a few. So, actually, when you think about it, the concept of dreamvertising, which is in essence advertising to people in their dreams using um, like EEG hats or neurotechnology, Mm. it's totally doable and it might add value to people's lives. And when you start to think about, for example, if I was Red Bull, could I provide a dream for people that lets them fly? Because everyone loves that. Dream, or you know, if I was Lynx, could I provide a dream that makes a guy, mm. <laughs> you know, think he's irresistible to women? Um, because actually, and so when you start thinking about it like that, it's like well, it could perform a service because sleep causes bad sleep causes depression, bad mm. dreams, nightmares can cause depression. You know, there's lots of people that suffer from like PTSD and stuff that have hideous mm. dreams. If you could, in some way, um, cure them from that or if a brand you know we're moving into an era where brands are trying to do more and more good 
actually, instead of being scary, could it be a really good thing that these companies do? Dunno. No one really answered me. That's the thing. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, I've got this idea. <laughs> I've got this idea. Set it out. And no, I think like your guy. Yeah, we, we, we wrote an article about it in response. Um, but to be fair, I don't think we answered you. <laughs> <laughs> we all just, I want is all I want yeah. is someone to. Um, but you could sit. It's I, I I wanted I wanted some people to answer me and say, no, that's terrible or oh yeah. my god that's let's consider it but no one no one did <laughs> yeah you'd have regulation issues i'm sure well the way that it would work is that you wouldn't be pumping thoughts into people's brains that would be bad you wouldn't be whispering in people's ears while yeah. they were asleep what you'd be doing is when a human being drifts into rem that's when they're most. Uh, that's when they're most susceptible to sounds and lights. So what you would do is you would use that hat, like the neuro hat, mm. to work out when someone's drifting into REM sleep, and then you'd play stimulus like a variety of different lights, colours, music, jingles, like your your amazing podcast jingle, mm-hmm. um, and maybe messages but that was that would be where regulation would have to kick in mm. so you're not actually telling them what to think you're letting their imagination do the job and then just kind of letting them you know seeing what happens and that hasn't developed in the last few years no then. but i was mm. i think i think this I think is how I'm, yeah we should do, yeah, it. Let's do this it this is how this is this is millionaire territory yeah no, it is it is <laughs> Does that creep? Because because there's another topic that I know you're interested in is is augmented reality. Yeah. Um, it's I just like I like I love all of this stuff because I like how you can I need to be careful. I, was, I just like how you can play with people. You know, like this is a this kind kind of creativity messes with people's heads and transports them to different places and um, changes the way that they view the world. Like augmented reality could change the way that people view the world. I just don't think anyone's done it properly. And that's the reason why I keep wanging I mean, it's easy for me to criticise. I'm, I'm not doing anything about it. But I just, I feel so disappointed in the augmented reality industry because it genuinely could have changed... I feel like it could have changed the world, but it hasn't. Yeah, and it's been quite slow, hasn't it? I remember so seeing, slow. I think it was it Leia that first brought augmented reality to market, and it must have been, it was not long after we started Gasp, like almost 10 years ago, maybe yeah. maybe eight years ago. And it was such a, you could immediately see how it could be deployed so effectively in so many ways. Yeah. But, and, and we tried to, <clears> to pitch it and sell it in, and we were successful to the point, but I think it's the fact that it's new therefore it's risky, therefore a big shield comes up for lots of yeah. businesses and maybe that's what introduces friction, I don't know. Yeah. There's certainly more that could be done with augmented reality that hasn't been done yet. Yeah, totally. Like, it's, um, it's, I'm going to, well, they've gone under now, haven't they, Blipper? Yes. I, I was rooting for them for, like, four years, mm. talked about them at every opportunity, tried to do loads of stuff with them. They just didn't, like, how can you not understand... Sorry, this is quite punchy, but how can you not understand when there's a new technology and a new way of seeing things or doing things, how do you not get that that involves a really significant amount of education, real people, human education? Mm. Like, it's you can't just expect... It's so arrogant. We're so arrogant in this industry that people, people just do the shit that we put in front of them. And that's how 
so many campaigns just die on their ass because we've mm. made this arrogant assumption that people will like it. You know, yeah. like in the UGC days, upload your this, upload your that. It was arrogant because it was assuming that I've got enough time to... Yeah. It was that Pantene thing where you swish your hair and you film it and no one does that. No. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> but strategy is obviously a key part of it. And strategy is an interesting um, word. Is it an interesting word, Giles? It's not really an interesting <laughs> word, but the meaning of it, I think, has been lost. Yeah. And previous guests have talked about strategy, not least uh, J.P. Hansen, who's definitely a, a strategic master of sorts. So yeah. what is strategy? What, what to you is strategy? Because it's, it's quite an ambiguous term, but I think it's often misused. What is strategy? What would I say is strategy? Christ, I do it. Um, what is strategy? What I would say for all the clients that I've done strategy for, um, that it has to be, so I've done strategy for like anyone ranging from like Nando's, just did for Donald's Pizza in, in Asia. I did strategy for a massive pharmaceutical company that sold laxatives. It's establishing a way of thinking um, that is totally unique to you. So for every I get so cross when people repurpose strategies and ways of thinking because to me that's doing it wrong for any single client that I have what I try to establish and it plays out across the entire way they communicate is how do you think that is unique to you and that will determine who you talk to where you say those things I think there's far too much stuff particularly in major agencies off the shelf you're not thinking it's original thought like you're not thinking if you're taking something off the shelf I know everyone likes to most I'd say about 60% of meetings Someone will quote Byron, Byron Sharp like they're some kind of fucking crazy genius because they've read a book. Yeah, and most people haven't even read that. <laughs> they, they just know <laughs> yeah. the few things yeah. that everyone quotes. Yeah. But I just think strategy is you think, you think differently for every single one of your clients and it's my job to establish what that way of thinking is. Oh, you made some really good points, especially the original thinking behind it because, as you say, off the shelf you know, by its own definition yeah. is therefore not the right strategy. Yeah. But nowadays, it's certainly in our world anyway, we, we think that, um, and apologies to listeners because I've ranted about this slightly in previous episodes, yeah. that clients tend to go straight to the tactics or the thing or the, oh, let's do AR, let's do Facebook, let's do whatever, yeah. without actually planning properly and having that strategy in place. Is that, yeah. is that something you observe too? Am I right? Or am oh, I God, right? yes, totally. Well, there's way too much distance often between a strategy and the implementation because the strategy has been too high level. I don't have that... The reason why I don't have that problem is I came from working in innovation. I used to work in social media, but working in innovation, I cannot lose sight of the tactics because I'm actually KPI'd on innovative tactics as well across the agency. Yeah. So I can. it's impossible for me to create a strategy that can't see, it, see its way all the way through to implementation um but it is a massive pro but, oh so much strategy is really self-indulgent kind of buzzwords isn't it yeah it's very fluffy lots yeah. of rhomboids and, <laughs> and nonsense matrices like yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and as you say it's often so detached <clears throat> from the real world yeah um and that's why it often you know causes problems well you know what's quite interesting is that in asia asia is a continent in lots of different asian countries um they don't really buy into strategy that much because okay. it isn't. What I loved about working in Asia is... Are you reading my questions? No, I know, I can't. <laughs> my eyesight's really bad. I, can't, oh, I can see black and red. Um, 
There's loads less bullshit. Loads less. You can't fuck it. Sorry, my language has been so bad. You can't just sit in a... You can't just sit on a table with your feet up and go, ooh, engagement. You can't do that. You can't get away with that. I'm going to move to Asia. <laughs> I mean, it does have... There's, there's flaws. There's, there's, there's downsides of being an expat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or, no, not being an expat. Being surrounded by expats. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So why, so why is that? Why is there no strategy? Um, but then, I think to be fair, before you answer that, is they are so much further ahead than the Western world, typically, in terms of adopting media. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there was already dozens of AR apps that improved your life hugely there. And, and I know oh, there's certain God, amazing yeah. things there. That's the, that's the wonderful irony of when I moved to... When I was moving to... I was based in Singapore. Loads of people said to me, oh, it's, it's just like the UK, but five years behind. That is mm. so painfully not true, mm. and also a horrible thing to say. Yeah. Um, lots of Asian countries, I mean, every single Asian country is very different in terms of the kind of devices they have, level of adoption of different mediums, etc. But um, in many Asian countries, that's where you see real innovation. Yeah. Mobile, especially, they nailed it, we haven't. Mm. Um, WeChat, I mean, everyone, whenever people talk about Asia, they always talk about WeChat, but it is so omnipresent and it's solved so many of life's problems mm. without all the bullshit, without all the wank, the wank that we rely on. Yeah. Also, you know, to an extent in the US, like we all just talk wank. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and we still haven't sorted mobile out yet. Yeah. There's so many examples. I mean, if you want to see, I mean, QR code abuse mm. is rife in this country. I think yeah. most people have given up on it altogether. But if you go to Asia or certain parts yeah. of Asia where they're, they've nailed it. Yeah. One of my favourite innovations, in fact, I think it was in Hong Kong, I saw it, but presumably it's, it's the same elsewhere. Yeah. Is you can buy seven bananas and each one, each banana's at a different stage of ripeness. So by the time you get to Wednesdays and eaten Mondays and Tuesdays, it's perfect. Like that is so simple, and that's not yeah. even tech. That's just a good idea that they've implemented, and that's how they sell bananas in in supermarkets. Hong Kong, is such Hong Kong is such an interesting dynamic from a communications point of view. You see some amazing innovation mm. there, particularly in out of home. Um, it's such a, it's such an interesting market. Also, what I didn't realize is like you think for for many years we were obsessed with social media here, chasing likes and so on. Um, you go to like a place like Vietnam, people bloody love a social competition. Like they love mm. them. Like it's such a, even now, such a sort of mainstay of plans because it, it really, really works. And I think it works because people, because brands kind of know how to talk to people better. And it's interesting, when I went to, when I first moved there, everyone was talking about KOLs. So what the hell is a KOL? It's a, is a key opinion leader, which is essentially an influencer, but they nailed, in many markets in Asia, nailed influencer marketing way before we did. And even now, what have we done to it? We've made it just a bit, ugh. What do you think about influencer marketing? I think in the right context, there's nothing wrong with it. I think that where it has a bad rep, and rightly so in this instance, is yeah. the amount of fraud around influencer marketing, which is rife, but then the, the fraud yeah. in digital marketing in its entirety is rife. And you mentioned earlier the kind of vanity metrics of likes and so on and so forth. Yeah. They've become vanity metrics because of all of the fraud. I mean, if, yeah. you know, if a client wants to have half a million <clears throat> views on their video, you can, you can buy that and almost overnight deliver those views. But yeah. what's that actually delivered? And I think because it's so easy to pull the wool over people's eyes with vanity metrics, it's yeah. led to this huge spike in fraud. And, and it shouldn't surprise us 
But yeah. that in itself isn't an answer around influencer <clears throat> marketing. I mean, to me, influencer marketing is just, you know, celebrity endorsement. Yeah. You've got different leagues of celebrities. But if you want a category A, you know, Beckham-esque level, you know, he's a celebrity. Is he an influencer? Yeah, yeah. sure, because celebrities influence. So I think there's, I think it's a bit... Yeah. There's grey areas. Actually, having said that, every time an influencer talks about my book, I get a real spike in sales. It does work. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm sure in the right context, it definitely yeah. works. Absolutely. And it's interesting because in terms of influencer marketing, you've got different niche scales of celebrity slash influencer. <clears throat> yeah. So if it aligns with the target market or the segment that you're going after, then yeah, great. Makes yeah. sense. Makes complete sense. Mm. We've had a couple of questions in from listeners. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, I'm glad you can't read them because I'm looking forward to asking number two. But number one from <laughs> Jenny P. Your book is a beautiful... She's talking about um, little girl here. Your book is a beautiful weighty hardback and you work in innovation. Just curious, what are your thoughts regarding ebooks? I um, despise ebooks. <laughs> I don't think... like Innovation doesn't mean changing stuff for the sake of it. There is nothing wrong with books. Ebooks are just, like, soulless hate them I did actually I mean they've they've done it anyway but I did insist when I when with the publisher that I would not have an ebook that is not how I want it to be consumed but you can get a kindle edition okay then you lose all the stunning illustrations I know I know it's there's no point like why would you replace it I get that you know when you go on a holiday it might be easier but also it's really bad for your eyes that's not innovative creating something that actually does you Damage. Yeah, it's true. It's a good answer. <laughs> um, and our own Mark at Gasp has asked, is it true you have a chimp called Margaret? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Margaret's with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, it is true that I have a chimp called Mar- Margaret. Okay. Um, she hasn't been out much recently. It's my, so the book, The Chimp Paradox... Um, which is a bloody amazing book when he sticks in your head um, funny enough is about it's written by a sports psychologist and it's about how all of us have three parts of our brain the computer that enables us to live the human which is our personality and then the chimp which is our really instinctive emotional side and to be totally honest I have been uh, accused of being emotional in the past (laughs) Um, anyway, so I read this book and was like, okay, this is going to absolutely change my life. One of the ways in which you can train your chimp, you have to train your chimp, you give it a name. Um, and so I called mine Margaret. Why Margaret? Because it sounded like, well, this is, it sounded like a really old woman. It does. <laughs> it was like my little, you know how old, oh, this is so bad, but I'm basing this on my nans. Okay. They were both nans by this, well, yeah, but also a little bit bitter. <laughs> Just old and a bit angry. That was my nan's anyway. Uh, so, so sometimes I have to let Margaret run around. But also, if I'm... People will tell me if Margaret's out. <laughs> Remind me to tell you a story about my wife's nan after we were <laughs> favourite story. Um, okay, so the final part of our interview is our four pertinent poses. Oh, right. Uh, that we put to all of our guests. So, number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? Don't drink booze. Genuinely, yeah. Okay. It's, I have, my, my, I would have been able to get so much done in life 
if I hadn't have drunk booze. Every single problem in my life has come from boozing. If I could go back and tell 20-year-old me, life is actually lovely, mm. you don't have to get smashed all the time, mm. that would be the best advice. I know it's quite serious, but um, I barely drink now, and I just love it so much. Uh, if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? LinkedIn. Really? I hate it. You hate it? Horrible place. <laughs> Do you know what? Two out of the four first guests we've had have had a little dig at LinkedIn. Have they? Yeah, JP Hansen is not a fan. Oh. Um, I mean, I guess I have to be, as I work for a media agency, I guess I have to be quite diplomatic, but LinkedIn is a platform. There's nothing wrong with it. What it's become. Woo! Toxic, yeah. Any books that you would recommend, aside from The Chimp Paradox, which we'll link to on our pod homepage? Uh, I would, actually. Why I've stopped talking to white people about race. I The reason why I would recommend it, everyone should read it, but um, the this is my segue into the industry still has a terrible, terrible, terrible diversity problem. People don't know how to talk to each other. People don't have all these people in charge they don't know how to hire diversity it's it's such a it's such a i still don't think that people really know how to talk to women um that book is just perfect you just you read it and you're like oh fuck i didn't know ah shit i didn't know i didn't know that i was part of the problem you know it's Mm. everyone should read that book because we and books like it because just reading byron sharp all the time is not going to make you a better person we always dedicate every show to someone and we bestow that honour to our guest, who also has to give their reason. Dedicate the show to someone. It can be anyone who's played a part in your career or someone who's been instrumental that maybe hasn't had the spotlight they deserve. Uh, Or it could be Margaret. She doesn't deserve, she doesn't (laughs) deserve my dedications. I would, you know what, I would dedicate it to my two sisters um, because... Uh, they're a little bit older than me, so they're eight and nine years older than me. So have always been my kind of heroes, mm. if you like. And um, my sister Louise um, has released four books on Harper with Harper Collins, like four um, had amazing success, and um, is also a creative and a producer. And my sister Laura has her own HR consultancy. And if it was not for them, I would not. I wouldn't have seen any of the success I've had because I wouldn't be as ambitious. I wouldn't believe that I was capable of doing, you know, all the stuff I've done. So, and they, so the pair of them are so freaking every single day. They're like, they inspire me so much. And everything I do, I test on them. Like everything, every idea I have, I test on them. Yeah. And they're so honest and obviously we're sisters. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, big time. Those two. Okay, so as a final call to action, everyone, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you head over to the podcast homepage, we'll share links to everything we've just discussed today, right back to the drum article that first caught our eye several years ago, which which Amy penned. We'll also link to Amy's Twitter profile, not her LinkedIn, um, <laughs> which I'd recommend following for starters. How else can people get more Amy Keen? Uh... I think that's it. I have a column, actually. I have a column with Shots Magazine, who is such amazing. You must read Shots. It's for creative people. Um, So I have a monthly column, and uh, they let me say whatever the hell I want. (laughs) And they love it. They love it when I do. Um, So check that out. That's quite... I've written quite a bit for them now. So Okay. We'll link to that too. Shots.net. 
I believe. Shots.net. Okay, yeah. well, we'll make sure the link's right when we, um, when we post this. So thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk. And thank you to everyone who's willingly let their ears be bent by us for the last hour or so. Call to Action is charting really strongly and we've featured in Apple's Spotlight for several weeks now. So a special thank you to the guests that bring the magic and everyone listening. If it wasn't for this monotone chat, we might really be flying. (laughs) Uh, But please do get in touch with the show and to have your questions answered in upcoming episodes, email us at hello at calltoaction.co. Yeah!